All right, good morning. Good to see everybody today, and um, I am so privileged to um, be here with you today. This has been a great summer. I hope that you have been able to enjoy it with uh, family, friends, travel, or the like. And um, we hope that uh, the rest of the summer you're able to enjoy it as well as we speed ahead uh, to all that we have in front of us this fall. Uh, many, many happenings um, going on. You know them personally. We know them nationally. We know all things. So with that in mind, guys, I am happy to be here with you today because we are continuing our series, which is called A Word of Encouragement. A Word of Encouragement. But let me say uh, before we begin that, that yesterday um, was a wonderful kickoff to Book Lot. Book Lot, yes. And so when you see uh, Warren and Rika and Krista, please give them big ups because they um, had not only a fantastic event, and thank you for everybody who participated in that, um, but it was a fantastic event reaching out to the community there in uh, Logan Square where our ministry center is. And we had several families sign up for their kids to actually participate in the enrichment courses by which the kids are going to not only get after school help and the things of that nature that are practical for as they're coming out of the uh, pandemic period. I mean, I was even talking to one of the fathers yesterday and he was just excited explaining how much, because of the online activities and online teaching, how much the kids struggled, right, uh, during the shutdown, during the um, pandemic era, and how much they need help coming back into a regular rhythm. And so not only are we going to be doing that, but also uh, ministering the good news of Jesus Christ to them, which they are fully aware of. So um, with that in mind, if you want to still participate, please contact Warren and Rika, and um, they will be happy to help you to get involved. So um, God bless them. And um, Thank you for that. All right. So with that in mind, let us turn today to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. We're going to preach Bible, Bible, Bible today. Bible, Bible, Bible today because I hope you've already understood that when you come into this place, we are going to be rich with the word of God. Amen. We're going to be rich with the word of God because God's word are the promises on which we stand. God's word are how we know him. God's word are how we love him. God's word is how we follow him and actually bring, come into the life abundant that he has for us. And so today our focus is going to be this statement. Even as last week we talked about the fact that God's word leads us into peace, right? In the midst of a troubling, trying world that God gives us a peace that supernaturally transcends all understanding because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And how many people love God because of that peace? Okay, supernatural, eternal peace. And not only that, but he also gives us, by that same word, in that same Holy Spirit, a supernatural joy. How many people can use some joy in the world in which we live? Okay, not only can we actually embrace the things that we're dealing with, but we can have joy in the midst of it. So our focus today is going to be this, that we can have daily joy. Everybody say daily joy. Joy. Daily joy as we learn to delight in Jesus in the midst of a fallen world. We can have daily joy as we learn to delight in Jesus in the midst of a fallen world. And so we're going to break the message down into three parts today. We're going to first talk about delighting in the Lord. Secondly, we're going to talk about it, about delighting in the Lord in the midst of suffering. 
And then finally, we're going to talk number three about delighting in the Lord in the midst of suffering until Jesus restores all things. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us, that we might have a living hope in you. God, we embrace that hope today by the power of your word, and God, we're asking you that we would live in nothing less than the supernatural joy and strength that you have to release to your people on a daily basis, despite our circumstances, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's start by talking about delighting in the Lord. The key to joy in a fallen world is ultimately delighting yourself in the Lord. The key to joy in a fallen world is ultimately learning how to delight yourself in the Lord. Because there are going to be circumstances that surround you that you cannot change, that you do not control, and that you are frustrated by. Anybody lived frustrated with all that's going on in the country or the world around us presently or in times past? Okay. Well, if you are part of what's going on in the country, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. But let me tell you something. The key to delighting in the Lord is actually learning what he means by that through his word. And so Psalm 37 talks to us about it. Read with me, if you will. It says, starting in verse 1, <clears throat> I love this instruction. Fret not yourself. <laughs> okay, that's it. <laughs> Fret not yourself. That helps me already. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. How many people know that for time immemorial, until Jesus makes his return, there will be evildoers who surround you? <clears throat> Even when you are attempting to live righteously before the Lord, give yourself fully to his commands to be obeyed, there will be evildoers who surround you. And what an evildoer is, is somebody who resists the commands, the ways of God, and chooses to live a different way. Doing what is evil, not in the world's sight, but in God's sight. This is what he's talking about here. They're two different things. But he says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Chicago. I was walking on the sorry. I was walking on the way here today. Smelled a little pungent smell. I was like, my goodness, that's early for this, baby. Anyway, <clears throat> trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Anybody happy about that? Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And everybody said, Amen. Now when you read that, that is a promise from God. That is a promise from God. 
And that is a promise on which God, in the midst of a fallen world, expects you to stand. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that what God's ultimately saying that the reason we don't experience the supernatural joy that we often want to experience in the Lord is because it starts right at the beginning of this scripture. Instead of rejoicing in the Lord always, as a command, he says to rejoice, we're instead fretting. We're fretting because of what's going on around us and how people are prospering in their way when it seems like they're not serving the Lord. When it seems like they're not serving the Lord. What we want is immediate and action from God. We want immediate justice. We want immediately for wrong things to be made right. Anybody with me? We want things to be turned around as soon as we see it. As soon as we smell something that's awry, we're like, God, move and smite them. Anybody ever been there before? The only problem with that is that in the midst of our fretting, we get ourselves in a huff. And not only are we in a huff, but we end up being envious of the prosperity that they seem to have in the midst of their wrongdoing. And we forget the fact that God will make sure that everyone, everybody say everyone, ultimately outside of him gets what they deserve. God's not going to overlook anything. You see, the good news of the gospel is that in Christ, we don't get what we deserve. We get what Jesus deserves. That's the good news of the gospel, right? That because of the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus took our sin on himself and took the punishment, the wrath, and the shame that we should experience and ultimately put it on Christ so that we might be forgiven and go free. But outside of Christ, everybody is going to get what they deserve justly. This is foundational to the faith. And it's ultimately our timetables of justice that cause us to be disillusioned. It's our timetables of justice that cause us to be disillusioned. We fret because we want immediate action on behalf of God. Not remembering that if God would have treated us with immediate action, none of us would have been here. Everybody realize that? If God had treated us as our sins deserved with immediacy, none of us would have made our way to the cross to be forgiven, to receive his grace, to actually be redeemed by the blood of the lamb, and to actually have the opportunity to live in a new manner. So how many people can thank God today for his unlimited patience towards those who do not yet believe? And how many people can praise God for his unlimited patience towards those that have actually caused you harm and actually caused us angst? Because they are at this point in the same place that we once were. And God's saying, do not fret when they're doing these things because God is having patience to ultimately, if we're involved with God and his kingdom purposes, bring them to repentance and faith as we share this good news of Jesus. To not leave them there, but turn them to something different. That's the hope of the gospel. And God commands that we trust him, do good, and focus on our responsibility to faithfully serve him while we wait. 
That's what God's command is. In the midst of all the wrong that's going on, he says, trust me and do good. Trust me and do good. Fight for what's right. Do good while you wait. But God's ultimately saying, let me do me and you do you. I'm going to ultimately bring all to account as it needs to be. But in the meantime, you pray and you do you while I'm doing me. Do good while you wait. And he says ultimately that while we're doing good while we wait, we can learn to delight ourselves in him. But what does it mean to delight ourselves in the Lord? The key to walking in joy in a fallen world is to delight yourself in the Lord but joy is not getting all that necessarily your heart desires while you wait. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But what happens when the desires of your heart are, smite them. <laughs> right? And God's like, no, not yet. <laughs> I want to bring them to faith and repentance as you preach this to redemption as you preach this good news to them. So delight yourself first in me. Everybody say first. first. Order your desires first around me, and then I'll give you the desires of your heart because then you'll begin to desire the right things. You'll begin to desire the things that God himself desires for not only your life, but the people in the world around you. Isn't that good news? That God himself will remind us not to put the cart before the horse. If you take anything away from this message, I want you to take this image away. That is how most of us live, going, God, why haven't I gotten everything that I desire? Well, because we haven't learned to first delight ourselves in him. He says, first delight yourself in me, and then I'll give you the desires of your heart. First have my heart in you. First have my ambitions in you. First have my desires in you. And then I'll bless you with that which is actually best for you. Isn't that good news? Has anyone ever desired something before that if God gave it to you, it would have ultimately been for your detriment? If you have ever desired a romantic relationship before, how many people ever have realized that sometimes the man or the woman that you didn't get, God was actually sparing you from? Oh, come on now. Because you see it. You see it on Instagram now. You see it, right, on Facebook now. You were like, whoa, if I had ended up with that person, my life would have been in shambles. Anybody ever been there? And God was actually saying, first delight yourself in me, and I'll give you what's actually good for you. Learn to desire what I desire, and then I'll actually give you the joy you're looking for. There will always, though, be a tension between the good that we aspire to do in this life and the resolution that God will bring to all things in the age to come. What we need to realize is that when God's talking about this in the Psalms, you are reordering your thinking to understand that your earthly reward is not your only reward. 
When God says, delight yourself in me and I'll give you the desires of your heart, he's reminding you that what you get here and now is not all that there is to come. And ultimately, you need to build your life around what you're going to get in the future and not just now. Far too many people settle for what they can have now in honor and comforts and wealth, not realizing that they're substituting these things for what could be theirs eternally in Christ. Matthew 5, when Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he's referencing these things, right? That's why he says, when you give, give in secret. When you pray, pray in secret. When you fast, fast in secret. And don't post about it on Instagram all the time. Talking about all the suffering you're going through, all the many dollars you gave to the world at large, right? Why? Because he says, if you do that, just to be seen by people, you've received your honor already. You've received your reward already. And what you've gotten, that's all you'll get. But if you do it in secret to your father who sees what's done in secret, he'll reward you openly. We lose focus on what could be ours forever in Christ because we are distracted by what others presently enjoy. Has anybody ever been there before? I begin to pursue the wrong things because I'm trying to keep up with the Kardashians. And God's like, get your focus in the wrong, right place. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, or his speech, The Weight of Glory, it wasn't a book, but a speech. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. And let me say those things can still be good. We're not saying that they're not good. We are saying that, well, anyway, the point is we're not talking about, we are not talking about an asceticism here. You understand that? We're not saying, C.S. Lewis isn't talking about an asceticism, saying don't desire any of these things, because Ecclesiastes just says to eat and to drink and to enjoy one's work, that's actually the gift of God, right? So understand, he's talking about the imbalance here. It would seem that our Lord think, finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And when God says, desire me first, delight yourself in me first, he's trying to anchor us in those eternal things that will contextualize all that follows. You must continually live in the hope of final justice at the judgment that allows you to persevere in well-doing in the light of the rewards of the resurrection. But when we fret, it tends only to evil because we take our lives into our own hands, acting as if God won't come through on behalf of his faithful ones. Anybody ever done that before? It tends to evil because we begin to do for ourselves rather than asking God to do for us what only he can do. This is a tormenting place to live where your mentality is you are on your own outside of the reality of God caring for his people. But we can have joy in the midst of suffering. Joy can be found in the midst of suffering, but we, what you've got to realize is God's care does not preclude suffering because we live in a fallen world full of sin. 
when you continue to look at this scripture, you see that God wants to give joy, not despite suffering, but in the midst of it. Let's read verse 12. It says, the wicked. Once again, speaking about the wicked. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the who? Okay, I'm sorry. Blameless. <laughs> That's the answer. The Lord knows the days of the blameless. And their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. Anybody ever read that before? In the days of famine, they have abundance. How about this? In the days of inflation, they will have abundance. When worldwide, people are trying to, for the sake of ESG, come against farming <laughs> practices and shortages are being caused in the world at large. Anybody ever read about Sri Lanka and what's going on there now? Starvation, mass inflation because of trying to follow some global ESG practices. But God's saying in the midst of famine, my people will know abundance. So in the midst of actually mishandling things on government levels, God says my people will still know my provision. <clears throat> he says the wicked, I'm sorry, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. The righteous is generous and gives for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way. Everybody say when he delights. When he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. And then there's King David talking again. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever hand, <clears throat> lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. And so all of a sudden, God's saying, as long as you live in a fallen world, you will experience these things. Has anyone ever experienced somebody coming against them? 
whether personally or feeling that God was saying, listen, these people are coming against my, my people and my ways at large. And God's saying, ultimately, I'm going to preserve you in the midst of this. And Jesus came to alleviate these things presently and eradicate them permanently at the resurrection for those who turn to him in repentance and faith. Now, how do we know this? We know this because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus said, listen, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to do something. He's anointed me to preach Good news. Not bad news, but good news. Anybody tired of the bad news we hear all the time? He says, I've come that you might preach and hear good news. And it's not just for you who feel you have it all together, but good news to the poor. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And he says, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, when he was beginning his ministry, he, that was the first thing he read from the scrolls. And he said, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. So no matter what you've experienced up to this point, Jesus said, I've come to reverse that by my gospel and my grace. John the Apostle, one of Jesus' followers, whenever he was summarizing Jesus' ministry, he said, the very reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Isn't that good news? He says, though the devil is running roughshod and rampant over the world in which we live, Jesus appeared to destroy the devil's work through his people and ultimately bring a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness by which we can eternally and forever set our hopes. How do we know this? Because in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8, John the Revelator said it this way. He says, Jesus summarized his ministry when he showed up. I summarized his ministry after he was resurrected. But God also gave me a vision of what's to come that you should put your hope in. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Had passed away. This is eschatological talk. What's going to come? Everybody needs to understand that the world in which we live now, stop trying to make heaven on earth because it's not going to happen. God says, I'm bringing a new heaven and a new earth to the earth. It's going to be the new Jerusalem, and that's going to be the home of righteousness in which you should set your hopes. You know why we're called Second City Church? Well, above among many reasons, it's because we're looking forward to that new city, that new Jerusalem the home of righteousness, and only those who've been born again of the Spirit of God are going to enter it. And he gives everyone the chance by repentance and faith to do so because he loves you, but you've got to turn now. Let's keep reading. He said, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice, <laughs> not mine, but God's. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God was with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Amen. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Isn't that good news? <clears throat> I enjoy life now, but how about this? There's some parts of my life that I want to pass away. 
like a kidney stone. Listen, I'm like, listen, go. I don't want to feel you, feel you anymore, see you anymore. Any of you have that in your life? Parts of your life were like, I'm done with you. Get out of here. Well, he says, ultimately, that's coming at the resurrection. And not necessarily now. Some things will be made better now. But ultimately, he's giving us an eschatological view, saying, look forward to what's coming and build your life as if you have that expectation. Live life to the fullest today. Do the good that you can today. But understand that even Jesus talks about poverty and says, the poor you will always have with you. Everybody know that? So do good to them while you can, but understand at the end of the age is when he's going to bring all things under his rulership. Wiping away every tear. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. For the old things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he will give you from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So God's giving everyone a hope, saying, turn to this good news. Turn to this forever hope. Turn to this forever joy. It's for you. It's for me. It's for the world at large. But I have great joy every day because I have this hope in mind, front of mind, not back of mind, but front of mind. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because at the, front of, at the front of my mind, it contextualizes all that I see, all that I experience, all that I do. When we're short-sighted, we begin to fret. When we have a long-term view, then it, everything is filtered through that, and we have joy because we know every decision counts. You are an eternal soul, and what you do today matters forever. You hear me? You are an eternal soul, and what you do today matters forever, both in good ways and in bad if you're outside of Christ. But God says, I'm calling you to eternal joy, eternal joy in me. And what, going back to the Psalm 37, what we understand is that temporary setbacks are not uncommon or your final destination in the Lord. Temporary setbacks are not uncommon or your final destination in the Lord. God has a long-term view of your life and destiny in Christ. That's why King David said, I was young and now I'm old. I, I, I love that. I, I actually have that testimony now. When I came to Christ, I was a college student. Full of zeal and energy and life. I've got more now, but I'm just saying. I was full of zeal and energy and life. And I was young, thanking God for his salvation. Now, my hair doesn't quite grow the same way. <laughs> now, I'm a silverback, right? Or silver front. <laughs> but I was young, and now I'm a little bit older. But what I've never seen is the righteous forsaken. 
or their children begging bread. It's a long-term view. You need to trust in God and let contentment free you to do good. But what does doing good look like? C.S. Lewis continued to talk about it in The Weight of Glory. He said, if you ask 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply, unselfishness. But if you asked almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied, love. You see what has happened? A negative term has been substituted for a positive, and this is of more than philological importance. The negative ideal of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion, not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves. As if our abstinence is not their <clears throat> and not their happiness was the important point. What God's saying is it's not just about you when I'm talking about doing good. He's saying I'm not just telling you to refrain from all the things that you want and be approved. He's saying delight yourself in me, orient yourself around my kingdom and do good. Do good for others as you wait. Why? Because you have this hope of an eternal joy. But without contentment, we will withhold from God <clears throat> what he commands and begin to find pursuits void of Christ or the leading of the Holy Spirit to fulfill our desires. And this ultimately leads to frustration, lack of satisfaction, and ungodly practices while we're striving for these things. Contentment is the key to generosity and great joy in our souls. Because without contentment, we are stingy, hoarding, and miserable because we're always fear, always fearing our own poverty. While God says that even in famine, he will give you more than enough if you obey him. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. C.S. Lewis again said, at the present, we are on the outside of the world, talking about the world to come. On the wrong side of the door, we discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, but all the leaves of the New Testament, Testament are rustling with the rumor that, all, that this will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. And so because of that, we're looking with joy to what's to come. Not just the present frustrations, but also what's yet to come. Finally, let's talk about until Jesus restores all things. Christ's work at the cross ultimately paved the way for eternal joy in a new world. Where he would bring the restoration of all redeemed things at the resurrection. Does the resurrection give you daily joy? Does the hope of God acting on behalf of those who've committed their way to him give you daily joy? He said, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do what? He will make your righteousness shine as the dawn and the justice of your cause as the noonday sun. Has anyone ever had to been pushed into a corner so that God does not act? I'm going to be in trouble. He's saying, put your trust ultimately in him and he will act. Verse 34, it says, wait for the Lord and keep his way. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. And what we're talking about is not just the present land, though we believe that God moves today on behalf of our present land, but ultimately eschatologically the land he's bringing to come. 
you will look on when the wicked are cut off. He said, I've seen a wicked, ruthless man spend, uh, spreading, him, spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace. But the transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. And so what God is saying is that he's concerned with ultimate outcomes and not simply the benefits of our present world. Ultimate outcomes. How many of you are glad that to be finished with school now? Anybody got your degree, your... You know, you got your letters, you're a professional now, and you're glad to be done. How many of you are teaching now, okay? How many of you are like, listen, I put in my time, and I'm not going back for anything, <laughs> okay? But while you were going through, you had ultimate outcomes in mind, did you not? You had ultimate outcomes in mind and not just the present rigors of what you had to go through. Students, remember that. There is a light at the tunnel and it does end. And the joy that you would have at the end would be you actually being useful in the hand of God to bring him glory in whatever industry he places you for his eternal purposes. But in the meantime, He's saying, don't fret. In the meantime, he's saying, look to joy. Because ultimately, the joy of the Lord, with the hope of God in mind, will be your strength. And if you've not received the strength of God, it's because you haven't been meditating on the joys that are ultimately to come. Not just the present joys, but the joys that are ultimately to come. Hines ultimately said this, good things come to those who wait. That's right, it's not Bible, but it's true. You remember that old commercial, them turning it upside down and how long it would take to come out? No, nobody remembers that? Anticipation, that's fine, I'm gonna describe it to you. This is how we're gonna end. How many people have ever been at a grill before? Did anybody grill out this summer? Okay, anybody enjoy grilling out? Okay? But then you finally get that dog in your hand. And then you're turning that bottle upside down. And you're like, I'm ready to chat! And nothing's coming. <laughs> and you begin to push, and you begin to shake, and you begin to break. Anybody ever just get bad and like break the bottle and be like, I'm gonna cut you? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm gonna spread it so, you know? But then you learn, anybody ever learn the secret of tapping the, tapping the nozzle? Does anybody not know the secret? Okay, there is a little place, it usually has a number there, and if you begin to tap it, tap it, all of a sudden the pressure's released. And it's like, oh yeah, try it. Listen. This service will benefit you one way or another. <laughs> so, 
But when it comes out, all of a sudden, the splendors of summer, the glories of grilling, all that you waited for, all that you smelled and knew was available to you, but you thought was just beyond your reach, begins to be yours because you have that full dog. And in the same way, God himself wants to give you eternal life and the hope that will mark your joy on a daily basis, no matter how long you have to wait, because ultimately he's not going to fail on any one of his promises. And if you build your life on that, you can have a daily joy despite what's going on around you in Jesus' name. Amen? But what it also means, hear me now, is that's the promise for believers. If you are not a Christian today, today is your time to turn. Because the promise also remains to you as well. That if you find yourself in the camp of the wicked, he will do those same things to you as well. And so repent, believe the good news, and for those of us who already have, enjoy the joys of Christ. Not only in the life now, which should be abundant, but in the life to come, in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us. And we thank you that you've given us the ability to have a daily joy in you. God, we're asking you that by your word that you convict us, Father, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Father, we pray that for those who've been committing themselves to you, that you would help our perspective, our eyes to be turned towards you. That when we entrust ourselves to you, God, you don't stand idly by, but you act on our behalf. You act to show the justice of our cause and the righteousness of our people who are not only covered in Christ, but living to do good living to love, living to glorify your name. God, you look to back them up in every way. But God, you also give us the hope of eternal life in you because of Christ's sacrifice at the cross and resurrection from the dead. God, may we build our lives around that as Christians and let not settle for anything less. God, we're praying you would deliver us from fretting. God, we pray that you would deliver us from doing anything like taking life into our own hands as if you are not going to care for those who are faithful to you. And God, we pray that as we entrust ourselves to you, you would give us great joy day after day in Jesus' name. And for anyone in here who says, you know what? I hear the promises of God, but the truth of the matter is, is I've been living a rebellious, wicked life. And I know that just as God makes promises to his people to care for them, both now and in the life to come, I also know that I have something to expect based on the way that I've been living right now. I've been at odds with God, and I know that I would deserve death and hell if I were to stand before Jesus today. And if that's you, but you want to turn from that and say, God, I want to be on the right side of history. I want to be on the right side of the line today and give my life to you. If that's you, I want to pray for you as well. If that's anyone in here, please raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. Who says, God, today is my day to turn to you. Today is my day to give my life wholeheartedly to you. Good. Anyone else? There are more in here. Anyone else? Says, Jesus, today is my day to bow my knee before you. Well, if that's you raising your hand, you can pray this prayer with me. Almighty God, I thank you for your love for me. And I thank you that you make sure promises to me. That though I was opposed to you, today I can turn to you. And I can give you my heart, my life, my faith, and my obedience fully. 
Jesus, I proclaim you as my Lord today. And I'm asking you to make me a new man. Make me a new creation. Adopt me as a child. And give me the hope of not only eternal life, but a life abundant. And joy to the full today as I walk with and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God says he's made you a new creation, but you got to learn how to walk it out. So we want you to go join us over at our prayer banner after the service, and we'll give you next steps of how to begin this new life in Christ. Amen? amen. All right, everybody excited about the joy that God has for us? Yeah. All right. So let's go rise to our feet in worship and praise him for it.